It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temper zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. Right. Well, I've what, heard this song before. I know. I decided we're just starting it all over, you know, uh, when life hands you lemons and dark skies on a Sunday morning, and then the the system decides to just shut down uh, inexplicably. <laughs> you just go with it, and you start over, and you 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 do what you can. And these are the, the marvels of... Uh, and Snappy J Dog is already saying, welcome back. And so he says, look forward to Mike and Peggy 2.0 Sunday morning, new and improved. <laughs> and before we were so rudely cut off by the Borg, um, oh. Andrea Whiteley is watching us from Perth, Australia. Oh, really? What I will say is that at 8 o'clock this morning, I was listening to Lumpen Radio in Chicago because we are also on uh, a WLPN FM 105.5, um, and the show that happened to be on this morning was the show we did on October 2nd, which is about Bell Bull Prairie out at uh, Chicago Rockford International Aer- Airport. It's pretty much surrounded by Chicago Rockford International Airport, and uh, we it, it was a good show. It was a really good show, and it's an important show because this is a remnant prairie in Illinois. We used to be called the Prairie State. I think one of our guests said that, actually. We used to be called the Prairie State. Well, we're still called the Prairie State, but we need to change the name uh, because it doesn't apply anymore. Um, And it's about how this remnant prairie is in danger of being bulldozed in a week, a week from tomorrow. Mm-hmm. If if something isn't done, I mean, who knows how fast that could happen? So, look on uh, to the right of you and me, and I'm going to adjust my camera here a little bit. That's Carrie Lee, who was with us back on uh, October second. Um, she is the executive director, and by uh, accident, I called you the CEO uh, in the tease we did the other day, video tease of this. Uh, but she's promoted. Yeah, I, I'm not sure there's a real difference, but uh, she's the executive director of the Natural Land Institute, uh, and uh, the Natural Land Institute's mission is to create an enduring legacy of natural land in northern Illinois for people, plants, and animals. And, by the way, they're among the groups leading the charge 
to Save Bell Bowl Prairie. Thank you for being with us again, Carrie. Oh, thank you, Mike and Peggy. I really appreciate it. Um, and then uh, uh, at the lower left corner, uh, for those of you listening in uh, quadraphonic sound, um, uh, Domenico D'Alessandro, uh, he's a regenerative design consultant. Uh, he's now retired, but he was president of D'Alessandro and Associates in Chicago. Um, he and I have a common background. He worked for WRD Environmental for a while, and uh, he's a special interest in urban ecology and regenerative designs for water quality management and habitat creation uh, within the urban context. Uh, Domenico, thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you. I, I welcome the opportunity. And, uh, and we're going to get to Domenico because he's got an alternative plan. That's the point of this show yeah. this morning. We, t- we talked about how the, the prairie was in dire straits uh, uh, several weeks ago. It still is. A lot mm-hmm. has happened. We're going to go through some of that in just a second. Uh, but we're also going to have Jen Kuroda, uh, uh, who's in the lower right. She's the president of the Mississippi Audubon Society, a chapter of the National Audubon Society, which is located in Rockford, Illinois. Uh, the chapter was founded in 1972, is committed to wildlife preservation, but she's also the president of the Audubon Council of Illinois. Uh, the council represents 11 National Audubon Society chapters located throughout the state of Illinois. Jen, thank you so much for being with us as well. Thank you. Um, okay, here we are. <laughs> and 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 keep your fingers crossed everything doesn't shut down again and i'm i'm writing to those vmix people and say what's going on here um okay uh carrie we're going to start with you because when we talked about this uh several weeks ago uh first of all a lot of people were just finding out that the prairie was in danger including you uh including your organization which uh, according to what you've said before, really didn't have much of an inkling about this until August of this year uh, when when uh, bulldozers and other heavy machinery started showing up uh, next to Bell Bull Prairie uh, on the uh, airport grounds. Uh, since then, there's been press. It's good to see that some of the press has got, you know, not everybody's gotten on board, but more and more, little by little. In fact, yeah. just the other day. And nationally, too. Yeah, nationally. Um, you know, the, the Chicago Tribune jumped on it finally this uh, this week, but there are others who have been uh, ahead of the game. Uh, kudos to uh, WTTW because they were in on it early. Of course, the Rockford papers were mm-hmm. uh, reporting on this from the get-go. Um, and then the hue and cry from the environmental community has been very loud. Uh, the, as I mentioned on last week's show, the uh, uh, Open Lands Luncheon was picketed by uh, pr- some protesters with a sign, Save Bell Bowl Prairie, right when Illinois Senator Dick Durbin was speaking. Uh, that got some press. Uh, and there have been op-eds um, and, and more. And people writing letters, thousands of letters to Governor J.B. Pritzker and to Durbin and to uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth and to local legislators. How would you describe the impact of that right now, Carrie? So the impact of this grassroots campaign uh, has been amazing. And I must say that when we first started this and started to get the word out, 
we really didn't have any idea that the grassroots campaign would take off in the way that it has. And not only has everybody been pitching in, but we have really creative minds who are coming up with solutions like Domenico. Mm -hmm. So um, the grassroots effort has actually extended beyond the state of Illinois. And we have had people from California uh, helping us. We've had people from Alaska, um, many of them who have some roots in Illinois, um, but it's just captured the imagination of not just environmentalists, but people who care um, about what's happening to our natural world. It's It's been phenomenal. And the letters uh, that have gone to our governor and our state senators and representatives, um, they've been gotten over over 4,000. And there have been so many that I do know that the governor this week uh, called a team meeting for his entire team uh, to talk about this. So we haven't heard yet uh, about any results of that meeting or any actions that might come out of it, but that's a good start. Yes, yes, it is a good start. Uh, however, these are this is information that you're privy to because uh, you're, you've been kind of the tip of the spear in this effort to uh, preserve the prairie. In public, however, uh, a lot of these uh, legislators, uh, policymakers, have been, shall I say, ominously silent. Um, why do you think that is? Well, I really think it's a, a, a matter of one, maybe they don't have all the information, although we have had calls with many of them uh, and um, to explain the process. Um, but I, I really can't answer that, why they haven't come out publicly. I do know that uh, our Senator Stottleman... Um, and yet that's, a, that's senator, a state senator. He's a state senator for our region, uh, and he had pledged to see if he could negotiate some sort of conversation with the airport about this alternative design because he understands, as do um, all of the legislators, they understand that our message is not to stop the airport expansion, but to come up with an alternative design so that we can have the airport expansion, we can have the jobs, we can have the economic growth, but we don't need to lose the prairie. We can still keep the prairie. Uh, and there are lots of ways to do that. I don't think they uh, that the airport authority and IDOT and the FAA Federal Aviation Administration. I don't think they understand. Illinois Department of Transportation. And the I Illinois know. Department of Transportation. I don't think they understand what they have, frankly, uh, that this is an ancient 8,000-year-old uh, dry gravel hill prairie that has um, taken that long to mature and survive. And, you know, it's... Uh, what Domenico is going to be talking about is why is a parking lot so precious and a, an 8,000-year-old rare prairie so expendable? And it's not just a parking lot, but that's sort of a key point. Um, 
and 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 there have been uh, other suggestions among them. Well, we'll we'll dig it up and we'll move it someplace else. And somebody in one of the articles that uh, I've got listed on my blog post says, "Well, that's a, you know, that's a equivalent to uh, taking a 500-year-old grandfather." clock and 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 smashing it to pieces and i forget using it for for something else roasting marshmallows Ma- roasting Bring marshmallows fire and roasting marshmallows here's here's my analogy i came up with this uh, by myself my feeling is it's like going to the tribune tower um and uh and saying well you know what you don't you don't really need the great wall of china we can take that down because there's a brick of it in the Tribune Tower downtown, and you can see the brick of the Great Wall yeah, of China. Yeah, we the brick. Yeah. Yeah, it's there. So uh, take down the Great Wall because uh, we've got a brick of it here. In fact, we could take it down, and let's put bricks all over the world, and uh, then everybody will have a piece of the Great Wall. And uh, and it'll be exactly the same thing. Um, and it it's just uh, a lack of understanding of how ecosystems work and biology, and I guess, Carrie, that is that is something that needs to get across. How can you teach that? It's something um, Rob Telfer, when he was on the show with us on, on uh, October 2nd, said, it's because people are not connected to prairies anymore. We're not connected to prairies because we don't have any. We've we've we, we've lost so many of them. There's there's no resonance here, even now. In the 21st century, you can walk in a redwood forest and you can be amazed, all right? Uh, lots of people do that. There's so little prairie left that it's hard to walk in a prairie the way it was uh, yeah. created and by it, nature. It doesn't have the grandeur, as it were, of the redwoods. You know, people look at well, it. Well, it, it did. It did. Yeah, yeah but now. Now. Yeah. So it's not it's underappreciated, like, undervalued. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so where are we? Uh, where are we with with your efforts? Obviously, as you said, there's there's some movement behind the scenes. Does it really look like they're going to fire up the bulldozers on November first? Well, we're still hopeful for a political solution uh, because George Fell, uh, the founder of the Natural Land Institute, and also the founder of the Nature Conservancy. Um, he, about 40 years ago, uh, the airport wanted to dig this prairie up for gravel, and he uh, appealed to the governor, and the governor stopped it, and George stood in front of the bulldozer and stopped it. So we need to, we need to stop it again, but now we need, also need to protect it permanently so that we don't have to go through this. This is the third time uh, his, George's father also saved the prairie. So... Um, we're, we're working really hard. We're going to be putting out newspaper ads this week, some full-page ads, uh, highlighting Domenico's design. So I'd really love him to, to share that with you uh, and the concept behind it. Well, we'd like to, but we really don't have time for that. Uh, actually, I'm <laughs> due to technical difficulties, yeah. we, can't, we can't do that on yeah. today's show. Uh, no, of course, of course, we're going to do that, and I'm teasing people uh, with that. We've got some of the the designs that that he has made, um, and I want to get to him uh, in a second. But but before that, uh, I want to talk to Jen. Yes, Peggy. And I, I reposted. Arthur Melville Pearson is watching us. Um, he's the biographer of George Fell, and he says um, he posted as the biographer. 
oh, it's just something just moved on on restream. Um, as as the biographer of George Fell, I know how hard he and his father worked to save Bell Bowl Prairie the first two times. The third time needs to be the charm. Time to dedicate this rare ecological gem by dedicating it as an Illinois nature preserve. I and I can't believe the folks who are watching this right now and are uh, uh, Julian Hoffman. Uh, who was who was on our show earlier this year? An author and and naturalist. Uh, he's and he writes. They don't understand what they have. Well said, Carrie. This is all too frequently the underlying issue when it comes to threatened uh, threatened places and all that stands to be lost with their destruction. Their accumulated ecological and cultural meaning, their vital importance to wildlife communities, the history of a landscape, and it speaks to a larger theme of how we encourage a greater valuation of such unique and increasingly rare places. Uh, Thank you, Julian. I'm glad you're watching as well. So let us go to uh, Jen. That's that's a starting point. Um, Tell us how Sinisippi, rather, uh, Audubon, is involved in and what we stand to lose um, in the prairie if it goes away. Sure. Even historically, Mississippi Audubon was involved in speaking out against the expansion of the airport. And even in the the seventies, there was another proposal for expansion and Mississippi Audubon was involved at that time. But really, you know, uh, Audubon is really about birds and their habitat and there was a report that came out a couple of years ago where um, it was noted that over since the 1970s, three billion species of birds, um, mm-hmm. we've lost that amount of bird population. And, you know, the, the, the majority of that is due to habitat loss, climate change, um, fragmented habitat. And then if you look at the subspecies of grassland birds or the if you look at the, the group of grassland birds from that overall population, 53 percent of the grassland bird population has declined in the past 50 years. So preserving prairies is very, very important um, for maintaining habitat so we can continue to have these birds. Have you been out to the prairie recently? I know that it's difficult to get there. There are warnings from the airport. This is private. I mean, it, it, it sounds as if the even the access to the prairie in the last few weeks has changed dramatically. It has. I was out. I went out on the 17th of September because that's when I, I probably found out maybe a week before that in, um, in talking with a couple people and finally went out there to take a look for myself and was surprised at what had already happened. And then I had the opportunity after the board meeting on September 23rd, I think it was, to walk the prairie with, with um, Jack White. So I did have an opportunity can, to go can you, can, can, Jen, Jen, can you explain who Jack White is? Sure. Jack White is a botanist. He was, I believe, the, the conservation lead for um, the Nature Conservancy, the lead, conser- uh, lead ecologist for that or lead botanist for that group. And he also developed the Illinois Natural Areas Inventory. He developed that survey and how that survey is conducted across the state of Illinois. So he's, um, uh, yeah, I was, I was very taken aback by him because he knows 
so much about plants mm -hmm. and I know very little about plants. I know about birds. Um, so that opportunity to walk with him on the prairie was very meaningful to me. So mm -hmm. I do agree, like mm -hmm. people don't understand what's out there. I knew the place and have known the place as a great place to go birding. And listening to Jack and making those connections about what makes Belbo Prairie so special, it was very emotional for me. I, um, you, you start to realize the, the magnitude of what in, is about to be lost if we don't do something. And uh, you alluded to this, uh, Belbo Prairie is a Category 1 Illinois Natural Areas Inventory, or INAI, site. Mm -hmm. It's a designation granted by state biologists that reflects the site's very high ecological quality. It's a gravel prairie, uh, and uh, that's even rarer. Uh, I think folks need to know that it right now represents about one quarter of all the remnant gravel prairie in the state of Illinois. So, you know, maybe we start need to start using... Um, numbers like that, which is you're going to destroy one quarter of the remnant gravel prairie left in the entire state in, in a day. Is this what's, what's going to happen? Um, and, 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 and as we mentioned on the show several weeks ago, uh, again, listening to it again this morning, I was struck by it that the INA, INAI recommendation is just a recommendation. It's like, it's just an observation. Uh, Carrie, I think you you mentioned this when when we talked about it before. It's it it has no power. It is just the idea that yeah, this is a high quality prairie, and you should be paying attention. And the problem is, so many of these sites are on private lands and not on public lands. If they're on public lands, they're generally protected. But on private lands, it we inf inform the people and say, hey, hope you save it. Hope you do something good with it. Um, all right, that takes us to. Uh, uh, Domenico D'Alessandro and and I want to ask you first uh, tell us a little bit about your background Domenico and how did you get involved in this issue uh, well my background is uh, basically landscape architecture but for the last 15 years I've really been concerned with uh, the urban um, ecology issue uh, because of the impact that it has on the natural issue and uh, I began to walk away from the traditional landscape practices and planning practices. I think they've, they are about 25 years behind the curve here. Uh, we have to really catch up if we want to preserve our environment. Uh, so my background is basically um, trying to figure out how to create habitat niches within the urban context. I have to say one one project that I was involved in that that um, is pertinent here. I, I was involved in the um, Orange uh, County uh, Great Park uh, project in Irvine, California, and that also dealt with an airport. It was the El Toro Marine Air Base, huge, huge airport, and it and it and it was um, being converted into a housing project, and. Uh, uh, the town, the town of Irvine, uh, uh, asked uh, for for a substantial uh, uh, park in return to to let the uh, developer build thousands and thousands of homes. So we were tearing down uh, the airport, and the project the project was really ambitious. 
uh, we were going to uh, recreate a canyon system. And I was part of the team that was to, to decide to, to give the criteria to do that. Mm-hmm. And we had the greatest minds in the nation working on it. And the best we could do uh, was to come up with a system where we would be target-specific habitats. So we would pick a, a species of concern and design a habitat for that species, knowing full well that it would take 100, 200, maybe even 300 years for those systems to evolve to a mature ecosystem. So uh, when they say, uh, oh, yeah, we can move a plant here or we can seed it there, that is a very ignorant and very dangerous mindset, especially coming from IDNR and people like this. Uh, We know that we cannot do that. Every uh, major biologist, every major scientist says that we cannot reproduce a pristine ecosystem. We can only uh, produce a synthesized version. And that, and we, and we talk about birds and, and butterflies and things that we see, but there are millions of microbes uh, underneath the soil, things that we don't see, the, the mycelium uh, connections and all that, uh, that we don't even take into consideration. So I think uh, that we, unfortunately, we suffer from a God syndrome and, and we have to get out of that. And, and given that these systems are so precious, so rare, uh, the best thing to do is preserve every little bit that we have left. Uh, I, I want to ask you, a God syndrome, meaning we think we're gods. We, we think we can recreate anything. We, we think that we can technologize our way out of it. And uh, unfortunately, we've been proven wrong time and time again. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the state that we're in. Uh, a report uh, just two days ago uh, was saying that we could be losing a million creatures a year with wow. climate change. I, I don't understand how we can stand by and um, uh, use the practices from the 1950s uh, that basically created the problem today. And, and I think that's what their plan is. I think their plan is right out of the 1950s, 60s. Uh, uh, and, and it needs to be corrected. And something else you said uh, really resonated with me. What's going to happen here is we're going to uh, break because I have to pay some bills. Uh, but what, when we come back, we're going to begin looking at the designs that you presented at a public meeting last Tuesday. And I was uh, sitting in on that public meeting, um, and the comments ranged. They were all over the place, from conspiracy theories to people saying, yeah, let's dig up the plants and move them. Um, when I do uh, garden talks, and this is on obviously a much uh, smaller scale, but mm-hmm. folks, I- even in your own backyard, there's something called the soil food web. And I try to explain what the soil food web is, and I think sometimes I'm able to scratch the surface of that and get people to get an inkling of it, but it's the idea that it, the, the, the biology is there. Um, and everything interacts. I say it's like the the uh, the inter. I want to say inner tubes. It's like the internet, only dirty, uh, because everything is connected, Everything's and connected. Uh, it involves macro and micro uh, organisms and 
uh, soil tilth and and things that bind and everything right. that holds together and and the and it's about communities and you can't just lift up an entire community and move it someplace else. You can move or one, a portion of that community, right? You can move That's one part of it, but uh, you can't you can't do it en masse. You have to recreate it. You mentioned uh, uh, um, mature systems. Um, there's, uh, some, by some measures, some people say old growth has to be, uh, for like trees has to be 200 years at least. And, uh, it's, so you can't cut down old growth trees and say, but don't worry, trees are a renewable resource. That's, that's a comment that uh, people make all the time. Um, we'll just plant more trees. Well, yeah. yeah. And then in 200 years, come back and we'll have that another, a different ecosystem because you already altered it. Um, you can't re- recreate what was there now, that is there now. You can't take it away and expect it to come back exactly the same way. So the, uh, um, is that about right, Domenico? Uh, that's correct, yeah. And, and I mean, we, I, we, we forget the incredible amount of information we have and philosophy and, and teachings, you know, E.O. Wilson's biophilia, uh, we have John Muir who started the whole thing. We have uh, John Fe- uh, George Fell and, and and thousands of others. People uh, <clears throat> Aldo Leopold. I mean, uh, you know, we're in Leo- uh, Aldo Leopold's land, and and we forget his message. I, I suggest that these people read the Sand County Almanac. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, this is really an ignorant ignorant uh, uh, approach to this to this. Uh, planning all right uh those are our guests uh wonderful comment just came in um that uh asks are there petitions of course there are petitions and uh, a couple of the uh, websites you should know about one is save bell bowl prairie.org and um that is uh become a really go-to site uh, it has lists of people you can call. It has links to petitions. It has information about all of this. And um, uh, and and there's a link on our website, mikenovak.net, that will take you to a petition. Right uh, you, on the homepage. Right on the homepage. You can also go on Facebook to Save Bell Bowl Prairie. That gets there's a posts. Facebook group, yeah, that you can join. Yeah, it's there. a group that's got a couple of thousand people and is growing every day. Uh, if you want to get involved, it's not that hard right now. All right. Uh, uh, Carrie Lee, Domenico D'Alessandro, uh, Jen Carota, thank you. We're going to be right back. We'll take a look at what Domenico has in mind for a way we might save the prairie. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we'll be right back. I have a choice. I can get the COVID vaccine or not. So I'm doing my research. Talking to friends about their side effects. Reading about vaccines and finding out how thoroughly they were tested for safety. I know we can all get back to the things we love without fear of getting COVID. Like travel and hanging with friends. I haven't made up my mind yet. Because I still have some more questions. But the more I learn, the more comfortable I feel about getting the vaccine. You can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, 
Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Let us reintroduce our guest uh, briefly. Carrie Lee is the executive director of the Natural Land Institute. Domenico D'Alessandro is a regenerative, rege- I can't say that word, regenerative. Regenerative. Yes. Oh, oh thank you, Peggy. Um, <laughs> regenerative design consultant. And uh, Jen Crota president of the Sinisippi Audubon Society uh, chapter, which is located in Rockford, Illinois. We're talking about how to save Bell Bowl Prairie. So that takes us to a public meeting. And by the way, before we get to this, uh, there's going to be more public meetings, uh, Carrie, aren't there? Yes, there's another one this Tuesday. Um, So it's at 6 o'clock Central Time at the Burpee Museum in Rockford. And there's also going to be a link set out, sent out to the meeting. It'll be the link will be available on the website avebelbolprairie.org, and it probably I think is also going to be on the Facebook page. So if you want to join in via Zoom, uh, you're welcome to do that. Yeah, uh, and it's it's easy to do, and uh, you can just hang out in the background and listen to uh, folks talk about this because by What'd you say? Thursday is the next meeting. Tuesday. Tu- Tuesday. Sorry, Tuesday. I apologize. Uh, I thought I saw something. Might be. Oh, and there's going to be a protest, on or at least a march on Thursday. Yes, there's a group of people who are organizing a rally on Thursday because the um, airport board meeting is due to meet on Thursday if they don't cancel it. Um, we're not sure if it's actually going to be held, but the rally is going to be held. And you can find information about that also on the website and the Facebook page. All right. Fantastic. And you, and by the way, you can uh, uh, find a link to uh, bellbullprairie.org as well uh, on my website on the homepage. We have a, a link both to the petition and to bellbullprairie.org. And as I said, bellbullprairie.org has a ton of information about this issue. Okay, uh, Domenico, uh, why did you decide to jump into the fray? Uh, well, I've uh, been very active in the environmental uh, community, um, um, and uh, I, I've been doing this many years, and I thought that I could contribute. Uh, I saw the opportunity that uh, this project is headed the wrong way, uh, but it could be corrected. It, it, it could be made into a win-win situation. Yeah, and, and, and to be brief, this is the way it's headed right wow. now, okay? And uh, we and, hope... And what does that orange fence represent for our viewers? I think that's the delineation of the prairie. So that the area that they've been working already, and then the prairie is uh, beyond that little orange fence there. So um, this is this is how close we are to losing this valuable piece of wow. our heritage. Uh, let's take a look at this. This is the first drawing you have. It's 
it's you can't read the writing on it, but uh, give us a sense of what we're looking at here, uh, Domenico. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, Mike, I, I would like to take the opportunity also to make a statement because I'm, I'm afraid we might run out of time before I have a, ch- have a chance to say this. Okay. So all, all along we've been looking at this uh, in, in order to save the prairie, and that's fine. But there's also an argument to be made um, uh, on the profit, and I think the profit margin is what really stirs these people. So we can talk about the prairie for hundreds of years and it might not reach their ears, but profit margin. So if, if we go back to that plan, uh, we can see that uh, their plan only provides space for 12 airplanes and, and the proposed uh, area uh, that they uh, mark as future development uh, might accom- might accom- accommodate another four or five. So let's say that they uh, uh, can service uh, 16 planes. Okay. So if we take, uh, 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 say, a margin of profit per plane is 100 units. So 100 units times 12 is uh, 1,200. In the plan that I'm proposing, we we can accommodate... 20 or even 25 planes, depending on how uh, we park them. So just from a a profit point of view, we can double, we can double their profits and save the prairie. So I I would like to know how the chairman of this commissioner uh, commission can go to the mayors that appointed them and said, Hey mayor, uh, you know, we were so stubborn that we decided that we were going to go with the plan that gives us 50% less profit and destroys the prairie, making us eco, uh, eco, uh, eco-criminals. And that's not good for branding. That's not good for branding. So I think we not only have a win-win situation with, with saving the prairie, but we can double the profit of the airport. And if they're concerned about the money that and the jobs that are that this project will provide, uh, let's let's do it with comparison to to the to the profit margin. So the, I, I, I want to state that before we get into the uh, the details. Okay. Uh, so uh, what is the uh, this is the footprint here? What are, what are we looking at? Okay. So this is their plan. So they have a main building. Uh, that's where the the, the merchandise gets uh, unloaded and loaded. But I'd like you to focus on the bottom portion. And you can see employee parking, 16 plus acres. Um, at the corner, you can see dry bottom stormwater management, nine plus acres. Uh, at the, uh, right next to the truck yard at the bottom, dry, um, dry bottom stormwater management four plus acres uh, next to the road that they're constructing uh, dry bottom stormwater management six plus acres that is land that is uh, placed out of use for the airport that is land wasted uh, by them in this project uh, you don't make profits out of a parking lot you don't make profits out of stormwater management those are uh, consuming, th- those are expenses. 
So you're placing a lot of expenses where you could be using that land for the profit. Yeah. And if we go to the next slide, uh, you can see that they've also added an, another expansion to to the east. Um, and, 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 and please point out what side of the screen east. Where's north? Is oh, it? okay. So north is up. Okay. South is down. So we would have uh, east is where their midfield cargo building one is, and then west is where the gravel extraction pit is. East and is, the prairie is located right in the middle through conceptual cargo. The prairie we can see it barely, but it but they cover all of it. So so they're basically eliminating all the prairie. So so if we go to the next slide. Okay. What I did, I basically outlined all those areas that I mentioned before, the parking lot and the three uh, stormwater catchment basins, and I overlaid them over the prairie. And we can see how similar the areas are. They're practically the same area. So in their plan... Wait, so, so let me explain. So you're saying that the, the amount of land involved in those four areas pretty much matches the amount of land that's covered by the prairie right now. Right, exactly, yeah, yeah. So what they're doing with their plan is they're eliminating the, the, the acreage of uh, virgin prairie and replacing it with a huge parking lot and three holes in the ground. That's what they're doing. They're swapping the prairie for a parking lot and three holes in the ground. For stormwater. For stormwater. But that area is completely useless to their operation. Wow. That, that's the point I want to make. Yeah, there's no profit. That, that same area that, that they're destroying in the virgin prairie, they're wasting in their, in their uh, plan. All right, and those blocks can be moved elsewhere. Is that right? Right. So, right, exactly. So that's the uh, um, exercise that I undertook. W- when I saw this, I saw, hey, th- this is not, this is not the amount of land that they actually need for their operation. Mm-hmm. This is wasteland. So I'm not impinging at all on their uh, on their operation. So when I saw this, I thought, okay, we can do something here, because. They don't need this land for, to carry out their their uh, profitable operation. All right. So if we go to if we go to the next slide, uh, you can see I, I overlaid those same areas. Now I'm converting all that area into an operational uh, profit making venture, and therefore we can liberate the prairie simply by moving all their infrastructure down along Beltline. Moving it to the southwest. Moving it to the southwest along Beltline. And this does two important things. One, it eliminates the roads that are needed for the truck uh, uh, movement because now the trucks have easy access to Beltline. It's basically an in and out. So where the truck docks are, that's where the loading takes place. Mm-hmm. So you come in, you park, you load, and you go out straight. You don't need any further roads. Uh, you, you have the truck yard right next to it. That's where you park your your trucks. 
And then to replace the 16-acre open uh, um, uh, parking lot, which, which is, uh, uh, you know, one of our scourges, our planning scourges, we simply construct an employee parking garage. So that will benefit the employees immensely because, you know, in, we are a northern country. We are in a northern area. We get snow. We get all kinds of inclement weather. Weather, And it, you'd rather be inside. You'd rather have your vehicle inside a, a, a parking structure than out there in the cold. And uh, then you have to shovel the snow and remove the snow. And all that shoveling and um, piling up of the snow uh, and the and, and the icing that it takes to do that, plus uh, all the gas expenditures for the big uh, snow plows. So, so we are reducing their CO two emissions. Uh, we are reducing their de-icing um, uh, needs, and therefore, and and also the snow uh, the snow um, piling areas. Uh, and it, it and. I mean, it saves them money and it saves the environment. All right. What is the, the dotted line going through the prairie uh, on this map? Well, that's uh, just their construction area. That's the delineated construction okay. zone. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and for any of our listeners who are just joining, I was going to mention that this is cargo expansion. This is not passenger air. This is cargo. So we're right. not talking a big terminal. Right. Right, and, and and if Amazon is the one that you're trying to attract, I I would say it's a much better deal that you can say, hey, we can service twenty five of your planes rather than twelve. You know, I I think it's a good pitch to make to to whoever company you're trying to service. Yeah, and and here's uh, the the uh, uh, an aerial view here, and you can see the prairie is delineated. I mean, I, I, for those folks watching it and thinking, that prairie looks pretty uh, endangered. It looks pretty fragile next to all of that industry and all of those buildings at an airport. And our response would be, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It is very fragile, isn't it, Carrie? Yes, it sure is. It's gravel uh, and sand. Uh, and But the thing about it is the Natural Land Institute has been managing this prairie uh, since the 1970s uh, at no cost to the airport. Uh, the Natural Land Institute and its partners, the Winnebago County Forest Preserve, the um, Boone County Forest Preserve, the Byron Forest Preserve District, uh, other not-for-profit partners and the Illinois DNR have been managing this prairie for them. All right. Uh, Del Sandro? I mean, yes. Domenico? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in this slide, you can see the, the, the road that they already built. That's the yellow, yellowish uh, uh, um, way there that you see. Yeah, kind of the uh, be- beige road at the, yeah, at the bottom. The bottom. Right. Yeah, right. So that part, that's they, where the bulldozer already, photo is. They're there. trying to go across. They've stopped at the prairie, and their idea is to cut right through it at that point. Right, and they're cutting right through the heart of the highest quality prairie. That's the heart of the highest quality prairie. To get to a parking lot. To well, to get to. Um, so, if 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 you go to the next slide, I, I'll explain that. 
uh, okay, so this is the road that they're trying to, con- to construct. Now, if they have to go through uh, the the prairie, they, w- they would need to put a lot of fill in there to make up for the difference in elevation. And you can see they have a lot of riprap on, on the sides of the road to, to make it stable. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. they have to create all kinds of infrastructure in, alter- in order to drain it properly. So it's not just the road, but look at the width that they need to, to, to do this road to disrupt the prairie. I mean, they're basically killing the prairie with this road. So if you go to the next slide, I, so in their concept, they need this road because you can see where, where the, the trucks will leave with their loads, right? So if you go to their conceptual cargo development build, main building as they, are, as they have it here, at that corner, that's where the trucks leave that uh, those truck docks to get to uh, um, uh, Beltline, right? So by simply moving that building, we eliminate the need for that road. That road does no, does not need to be built. And in, and in another thing, we need we eliminate another road, which is the yellow dotted line which is the route, the route that the trucks take to the yard, to the truck yard. Mm-hmm. So just by shifting that building to a line with belt line, we eliminate those two roads. They don't need them. Now, what they do need is another road that will take the cargo from their millfield cargo building one that did this development to the east. So what I did here, I showed in purple how that road could actually connect back to, back to to Beltline, and it can go on an existing road that's already there. They they might have to up, upgrade it in order to take on the heavy traffic, the heavy load. <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, to take on the, the the heaviness of the trucks. But that's a much easier uh, exercise than trying to build a road through the prairie, even in cost. And also, the connection can be made uh, uh, at the at the south end by simply widening Cessna Drive. You can widen Cessna Drive by two lanes, and and have your truck route. And that's at the bottom of this. That's screen. at the bottom. Yeah. And then you can see in the parking area uh, with the image. I don't know how clear it is, but that parking area is only half full. And, and if this image is any indication of its use, then we can eliminate portion of the parking to make room for this road. And they still have all the connections that they need. Mm-hmm. And this is so, where the idea of whether a parking lot is more valuable than right. a prairie comes exactly. in. Exactly. So they're, you know, they're afraid to touch their parking lot, but they're so willing to, to eliminate the prairie. I mean, I think... With a little bit of, of, of finesse, things can work out. You know, we can accommodate their needs uh, so, very simply and possibly a less cost to them. Okay. So what does this uh, final slide represent then? Okay. So this final slide is uh, particularly in, in, uh, in answer to uh, IDNR uh, or, or the uh, environmental impact assessment 
that basically declared that that there's no significant habitat here to protect, which, which is a, a outface lie. It was based on a one day in August uh, assessment, uh, which cannot be the proper way to do a, an environmental impact assessment. Well, that's one of the but points that the show... one of the points the airport authority is making is that hey, we did everything by the book, we did the assessment, and it showed that right. there's nothing there uh, worth saving. So let's move on. Right, and and I think that can be challenged in court very easily because there are a lot of experts around that that that, that can be expert witnesses to challenge that assumption. One of the things that you mentioned the other day, I want to call attention to it. Okay, if you look at the uh, center, upper center there, uh, and you'll see sort of a red area, uh, the green outline, and then red inside, that is the prairie. Uh, You have you you think the prairie, which is now kind of isolated, can be connected to existing ecosystems in the area? Right, and and that's what this plan shows. Because uh, the, the reason I think uh, that DNR is so quickly dismissing this prairie is because it is isolated. It is not connected to a larger ecosystem. And I think their reasoning is that, well, it's isolated, it's going to degrade, why fight it? But for, with, the purchase, with the purchase of 38.5 acres, and that's the area I designate in yellow, Mm-hmm. We can do a biological connection to the Kishka, to the Kishwaukee uh, River corridor. So those thirty eight point five acres uh, uh, can be converted into a synthesis a, a synthetic prairie, but it will provide a biological connection to the to the existing prairie to the corridor. To the cor- to the corridor, uh, I think this is something that the Nature Conservancy should look at, um, because uh, you can see how incredibly intricate that corridor can be at the mouth of the Kishwaukee River, where where it meets the uh, Rock River. So, I, so I think that is uh, an incredible opportunity. That's yeah, that's the point for I want to make. A variety of habitats. You're not just saving the prairie you might possibly be improving it at this point, which I think is, is a remarkable consideration. Right. I, I think, uh, you know, biological corridors are necessary uh, because uh, we lost a lot of uh, habitat because of, of, of this cutting up of, of the pieces, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, the development will come in and fill the space. Uh, so I think here with the simple purchase of 30, 38.5 acres, it, it could be easily accomplished. That's a, that's a remarkable presentation, uh, Domenico. Um, that, Thank uh, you. Yes, uh, it, uh, it actually gives one hope here for uh, what might be accomplished. So next steps, uh, Carrie Lee, uh, is it is just the same, just keep, the pressure run and ratchet it up. I mean, you have basically a week uh, to to get this done. Yes, and a lot can happen in a week. So um, we we would really encourage people to tune in on Tuesday to the the public meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, 
And if you are, are so moved uh, to be part of the rally, you could be part of that on, on Thursday as well. Um, Jen, what do you see as uh, the work of, for Sinisippi right now? Uh, I'm definitely going to continue to reach out to legislators and, and other groups. Um, there will be additional events I, on the weekend, Saturday the 30th, so um, additional time to meet with people um, as a group um, and meet some of these people that you've been uh, doing advocacy work with, and more will be out about that early next week as well. And if you don't, uh, we're going to sick that bear on you that is behind <laughs> right. you. I mean, I, I had to call attention to the bear. Uh, if you're listening on uh, on the podcast, you, you don't get to see the bear that has a sign that says Save Bell Bull Prairie. And that's a it's not quite life size, but it's 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 substantial uh, behind Jen Corota. Uh, I like it. We all like it. Um, folks, thank you so much for doing this again. Uh, my sincerest apologies for technical problems at the very, very beginning of the show, but um, I think we've accomplished what we hoped to accomplish today. Is there anything anybody wants to add uh, before I, I let you all go? Uh, I, I would like to say something that I uh, neglected to mention. Um, so the, the catchment basin, the, uh, the stormwater basin, uh, would be replaced by a, a, a innovative uh, porous paving and alternative uh, stormwater system uh, for for the uh, area where the plains are serviced. Uh, that's a really good point. I mean, if their concern is the uh, storage of stormwater, porous paving is something that uh, I think more people consider. Uh, Peggy and I talked about in uh, an initiative that we wanted to start in Chicago, which is called Unpave 50%. The idea being take 50% of our impermeable uh, pavement in the the city and make it permeable somehow. I don't know how that happens, but it it is something that occurred to us because uh, we're going to have less flooding um, if if that happens. Uh, Domenico, Uh, you're... uh, Also, I, I think this is one area where they might object. Uh, but uh, but this is already being done in uh, the Netherlands and other places. Mm-hmm. And there is a guide available on how to do porous paving for airports. All right. Um, Carrie, Lee, Domenico, D'Alessandro, Jen Carota, thank you so much for being here. I can yeah. see uh, our our next guest, Kim Hankins. Kim, as you probably noticed, we're, we're she's in the, waiting in the wings. We're running a little late here, but we're going to be – to you just after this spot uh thank you all for being here this morning i we're going to be talking again obviously this this is not done and and i'm hoping when the next time we talk it's to um to to pop a cork yeah share good news would be uh, a good thing pop a cork and say wow uh, dodge that bullet again and then get to work uh, on the next issue that needs our attention Um, It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. We hope you stick around. There's much more to come. Hey, good afternoon, Dr. Drew. How are you? 
Good, Vic. How are you doing today? Pretty good, pretty good. You know, I was just walking through the woods and I saw this burl up here and it just got me to thinking I don't really know what these are exactly and why they happen. So can you tell me anything about tree burls? Yeah, so tree burls are just sort of a, a lump of abnormal growth that occur on the trunks of trees. And it is really just a form of hyperplasia, which is just unchecked cellular division and growth. And in a lot of ways, it's sort of uh, analogous to a tumor. Oh, okay. Tumor, I understand. You kind of lost me in hyperplasia. But um, what is the cause of the formation of these burls? Well, there's several different things that could cause them. In, com in some cases, like a tumor, they're just a genetic mutation or abnormality. Um, in other cases, they're caused by pathogens like bacteria, fungi, viruses, or even maybe an insect pest. So are these, are these burls harmful for the trees? Well, from a health perspective, not usually. It really depends on the size and how much of the trunk is involved because there is functional vasculature in there. And what about from a structural standpoint? Well, that's a tricky question and really needs to be uh, inspected on a case-by-case -case basis. So if there is a burl on a tree trunk, then it really needs to be inspected by an arborist to make that determination. Okay, so what's the biggest tree burl you've ever seen? Well, you know, in the coast redwood forest, especially the old growth, they get pretty big. And I've seen one the size of my Subaru Outback before. Wow, that's fantastic. That must be a sight to see. Drew, I want to thank you for your time and your expertise. And uh, as always, thanks for being a resource for our arborists here at Bartlett Tree Experts. My pleasure. Call back anytime. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by... Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serrate. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Thank you, Kim Hankins, for your patience. Uh, I don't know if you saw the beginning of the show. It was uh, we had one of those uh, little technical issues, and things just disappeared on us for a second. Uh, but we are so pleased to have uh, Kim Hankins. She's the director of sustainability for McHenry County College, and as I often say about the folks in McHenry, there's something in the water because you guys get it. Um, and I hope it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing um, in, in the water. Um, and uh, because this year, the, the annual, which was not annual last year, uh, because of, of a certain, I don't know, there was a pandemic or something. Uh, it was a longer I, annual. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember ex exactly uh, what happened there, but uh the uh, the green living, uh, f um, all right, and now, and now that word expo. expo I was going to say festival, <laughs> but it is a festival. The expo, you know, and, and I, I only uh, we only go to it every year when when we can, and uh, uh, but uh, it's it's back, and that's the good news. The the, the green living expo mm -hmm. is back, and um, 
you guys were going to do it live this year and you and i know kim you were all excited this is great we're 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 back in the saddle here and but uh the delta variant had other ideas didn't it indeed it sure did oh (laughs) you know that's okay um um the fact that you guys uh still pulled it together and you've got a terrific uh event lined up so uh Tell us a little bit of, about what's going to happen on the 6th of November. Right around the corner. Well, first of all, thank you, Peggy and Mike, for having me again. I love talking to you guys, and I love being part of the show, and I really appreciate all the wonderful things you have to say about the Green Living Expo. And I'm sorry that we can't hang out in person this year, but, um, yeah, we decided um, to go. We've actually nicknamed it the Greener Living Expo because there is no carbon or very small carbon footprint with not zillions of cars coming to the college. So there's some advantages. Um, we have cut down on our carbon footprint. Also, it's really been nice because we've been able to open it up to folks all over the place that wouldn't normally be able to come to McHenry County or not really even know where McHenry County is. <laughs> um, so it's nice to be able to open it up to a lot of people that um, wouldn't necessarily be able to join us otherwise. So it's been good. Yeah. Uh, I want to call attention to uh, a few things. Uh, it's free, of course, which is Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great thing. Um, folks are strongly encouraged to register before the day of the event. Although, as you pointed out, if you wanted to go on two minutes before you, you could probably do it two minutes before you went there. But folks, we, <laughs> excuse me. Folks, uh, we want to know how many people are are, are going to be there. Um, But um, the other thing is the first 200 people to register will receive a free reusable veggie produce bag made from recycled materials. Uh, Yeah, that's cool. So uh, can people register now? Absolutely. So it's really, we have this wonderful platform that we're working with this year called Whova, and the college has worked with it a couple of times and had some really good success with it. So we really like it a lot, which is great. And um, it's very easy. You just um, go to the college uh, sustainability center website, which I know we'll, we'll say this a zillion times, but it's just mchenry.edu slash green. And right there at the front of the, the sustainability website, there's a little button. You click on it and you put your, you just register. It's free. It's very easy. Um, the nice thing about registering a little early <clears throat> is you can get in a little early. So a couple, we will be opening it up a couple days early so people can get in and look at the agenda and the speakers and see who the exhibits are and um, plan their day. So if you don't necessarily care about the first speaker, you can come back a little bit later. Or if you want to check in with somebody, you'll, you'll just know what's going on. So it helps us. You know, again, it's, it's totally fine if you wait till the morning of and register. It works however you want to do it. Uh, which is why we will give a little bit of wiggle time right at 10 o'clock. So for those people that aren't um, maybe just joining us at the last minute, that's fine. But yeah, it's a nice platform. Like I said, it's pretty easy to use. It's pretty intuitive. So we've been really happy with it so far. It's given us a lot of flexibility. Uh, and, and, and you can right now we have. And, Sorry, and people can be interactive on there too. You're not just sitting and watching. You can go and talk to vendors and, and leave comments. And Yeah. Every vendor has their own chat room which uh, we'll be monitoring all day long. We'll be helping the vendors because we don't expect them to sit there, you know, entire time, but we'll be helping them throughout the day. Um, But all the vendors have their own chat room and then all the speakers uh, will be having some live, some pre-recorded. just depends on what's going on. We have uh, a soil guy, which um, I heard you talking earlier about soil webs, Mike, and it got me thinking about, we have a soil guy coming. He's doing 
two soil borings this week up at McHenry County College and some new areas of the college that are slated for development of our student farm. So he's going to go up and do two soil borings, and we're going to record that. And then he's going to be live with us kind of telling us what he found. And That's cool. Yeah, I know. Folks would love that for the yard. And the idea is, uh, and, and I assume he's not boring himself. But he's going to be taking <laughs> Hope not. the 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 borings. Uh, thank you, thank you very much. Do do, do, do do Oh, would you like that? Okay, there we go. Everybody needs their own rim shot when they're we're having a conversation. Uh, but uh, several things. First of all, you as you mentioned, uh, the expo goes live on Saturday, November sixth, uh, at ten a.m. It goes to five p.m. And the point of uh, chat room is when people go to these events, they want to ask questions. They want to see demonstrations, but they also want to know how this applies to them and if they have you know, questions about what to do, which is the, the great thing about a chat. Uh, but wait, there's more. Uh, as you told me the other day, uh, there's going to be coupons and giveaways from vendors. Uh, now, how do folks find out about that? So when you register, when uh, it opens up and you can get on and see all the different exhibitors and vendors, each one of them will have a little square. We know we're pretty familiar with those kind of little things you click on. We'll have an exhibitor tab on the side and you just click on that and all the exhibitors come up. They will be listed alphabetically. Of course, our sponsors will be first, but then um, they'll be listed alphabetically and you just click on it. But they'll have in that little square, there'll be a little description if they're offering a coupon or a giveaway or a sign up for this. One of our uh, vendors is the... Um, Eco Illini Super Mileage Team. I don't know if you guys remember those from previous. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're a bunch of students from the University yeah. of Illinois that built the Love those um, guys solar race and car. gals. They're so they, wonderful. They're giving. They're so fun, and they're uh, raffling off a visit to their lab, which is like I've already entered. That's really cool. <laughs> so yeah, that was really fun. fun. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I, I'm eligible to win, but that's okay. <laughs> I wanted to get strapped into one of those cars just so I could get a you know a photo of that. But a Facebook uh, Live, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, by the way, all the links are available at MikeNovak.net. Of course, as we said, you can go to McHenry.edu slash green uh, or green expo. Uh, and either take one your, works. Yep. Yeah, either one of those works. Um, all right, let's get down to the meat of the uh, expo. You have four tracks this year, four unique tracks. Uh, one is re- renewable energy. Then there's waste reduction food and farming, and fun and recreation. Um, do you want to uh, go through uh, some of what's in each? Like, for instance, in the, in the renewable energy, what are folks going to see? Well, we're actually kicking off the day with our first speaker. Um, it's going to be talking about solar battery storage and um, electric car charging uh, stations for the homeowner. We get, you know, we kind of based our four tracks on the bazillions of questions that we get at the Sustainability Center. And, um, you know, a quick shout out to my amazing team, which I'll tell you about a little bit later. But and all those guys, we kind of put our heads together and said, you know, what are people asking us? What do they want to know that we can't necessarily answer? And we need to find somebody else that can answer that. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the things that certainly came up was electric car charging stations. You know, I want to buy an electric car, but do I have to have one in my house? And then what happens and where do I go? And so that we're going to kick off the day with that. Um, we do have a couple of vendors. Um, one of our sponsors and Magitech Energy Solutions will be there in the vendor hall, answer questions, just, you know, kind of be available to talk about all the opportunities and 
kind of what's out there. There's a lot of good stuff coming down the pike with our new energy legislation. So there's a lot of good stuff to find out about with that. Um, yeah, the renewable energy one, then in also the environmental defenders, which I know you guys know the environmental defenders in McHenry County have a mm-hmm. action team that's been working really hard on some community solar efforts and some pollinator at solar farms efforts. So they will be a, in the exhibit mm-hmm. hall to talk about that too. And I see that uh, you're going to have a tour and if you, uh, it'll be a virtual tour, obviously, of the the McHenry County College Student Farms and High Tunnels. It's a sh- next year when it's all live. You got to go because you have to yeah. go take a tour of those tunnels. They're really, really cool. And yeah. uh, they were still. Remember, some we of, took the greenhouse tour the last time. Right, we, were we took there. the greenhouse when some of the oh, tunnels yeah. were still under construction two years ago. When the last time Peggy and I were there live. Yeah, those tunnels have, it's amazing, that program, you know, the college started the uh, Center for Agrarian Learning, and um, that was reaching out to working with local agriculture experts, and now we've been working with the um, Entrepreneurial Agriculture Program, which is the credit side, and one of our team on the expo is Emily Zach, she's the head of that, so that's been a lot of fun to work with Emily and Sherry on those um, tours, and Emily's going to give us a live tour of what's going on. She was just talking to her on Friday. They're putting a lot of stuff to bed. You know, it was going to get below freezing on Friday night, so they were kind of putting a lot of protection up there and making sure all the um, air was moving around and keep, you know, keep that growing season going as long as possible. And we had a really cool, speaking of renewable energy, we had a really cool project we did uh, this earlier this summer where we put um, one small little four-panel solar array out by the high tunnels and now that solar array powers one of the high tunnels. So it's done a nice demonstration project for people that might want to be able to rep- reproduce that um, on their own farms. Um, I notice also that uh, uh, culinary activities are, are part of the mm-hmm. expo. Uh, preserving fresh fruit by freezing. I love this second part of this. What works and what doesn't? Well, uh, <laughs> it, if you die because you did it wrong, that didn't work. Is, is that kind of an example of that? Well, I'm not sure we'll, we'll be. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not sure that'll be one of the highlights. I, I, I'm but, um, sorry. I mean, it's just looking at me. You got to realize who you're dealing with here, okay? Uh, this is true. Yeah. We, I will mention that to Chef Tina, though, to cover, make sure she covers the part about possible death. So um, we'll make sure we get to that part. But yeah, those two instructors, um, Chef Tina is the head of the culinary department, and you know that program is just really amazing, and they've done a lot of good stuff. And so she's going to be live in her classroom, which is the culinary lab, and doing the freezing demonstration. And then we're also going to have a video in their um, booth, in the culinary booth, about deboning a chicken, which we decided not to do live because it's Sunday morning and might be too much for people. But we decided to go ahead and do the um, okay, freezing okay. one, which sorry, I, I, I have to make, uh, but it's Saturday morning. I'm sorry. You're right. I've got yeah. my day. Oh, that's terrible of me. Oh, my God. Yes, it is Saturday <laughs> well, morning. No, I thought I had made the mistake. Yeah, no, it's Sunday morning. Yeah, no, no. See, this is Sunday, Saturday. and that's that's where we're confusing you because we're previewing this. And again, it's Saturday morning, November 6th. November 6th. Right, yes. from 10 Thank to you. 5. It goes to 5 p.m. So, um, you know, I'm kind of curious about why you added uh, the recreation part of this. I think it's great, but... Uh, that's that's very interesting. How does that fit into your Green Expo? Well, as you mentioned, Mike, we have a really robust, educated, and active environmental community here in McHenry County. And there's so many cool things to do up here and see and notice and understand. And we wanted to highlight some of the cool stuff that we have up here. So we reached out to the Conservation District, for one. So the McHenry County Conservation District Police are going to be giving a little um, presentation on, like, winter recreation. We don't want to go inside. 
<clears throat> right away. We want to get outside and enjoy some of the winter recreation stuff that's available to us. And they have just a ton of stuff, candlelight cross-country skiing and snowshoeing. And they, also we have a really robust hunting community up here and not everybody, I, I get it. That's not for everybody. Um, but there are some really um, important things to know about that if that's your thing. So they'll be talking about that too. Well, what's interesting about McHenry County, and I've talked to folks about this over the years and, and, and obviously it change it continues to change and evolve, but McHenry is one of those counties that's kind of half urban, half rural now. Um, you know, Cook County, <laughs> all that rural part disappeared long ago, but up in McHenry, there's still opportunity for a lot of outdoor activities that you don't see in, in some of the other collar counties. It's really true. And there's some really rare <clears throat> ecosystems up here too. I was really interested listening to the prairie discussion before this and, you know, fingers crossed and toes and everything that that um, really works out okay. We had a similar prairie issue many, many years ago, and it didn't really work out the way we had hoped it would. So um, I understand those pressures. But yeah, there's so many rare ecosystems and just really cool stuff to see up here that you wouldn't necessarily find in a color county of a big city. So it's fun to have it right in our backyard. Um, I notice also uh, uh, there's a, and, and I'm just kind of going down the list here of the uh, the various seminars you're going to have. Uh, there believe me, there's something pretty much for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and you don't have to be there for the whole thing. You can come and go too. Right. You can schedule. pop in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judy Spears uh, is going to be talking about permaculture food forest, the way to eat from your landscape. Now this is not about foraging, I take it, or is it? Um, not really. It's a permaculture concept. I think mm-hmm. one of your um, big supporters, Karen Wenzel from Blazing Star has really brought me into the permaculture fold and taught me a lot about it. It's such an interesting area of study that I think a lot of people just don't really know much about. So we asked Judy to kind of talk about this one little aspect of how really being able to make your backyard something productive that, and and really it's it's pretty impressive. I'm really intrigued by what she has to say. I've heard her speak a little bit and I think it'll be really interesting for folks that have not had any exposure to the permaculture concepts. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, um, our our wonderful sponsor, uh, Blazing Star, and it, you go to blazing-star.com, and they're all about improving your soil and making it uh, uh, healthier and uh, and able to sustain more life of all kinds. And the expo the is actually our... where we first met them. Oh, that's true. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, that. yeah, that that's cool. yeah. That's that's absolutely true. Yeah, I, you know, that's one of the the reasons I I always enjoyed going up to the expo is that we run into um, uh, Karen and Stephen. Uh, so they're they're great people. Uh, and Karen's one other part of our, I was just gonna say, Karen's been part of our steering committee for the expo since the very beginning. So couldn't do it without her and all the rest of my crew. They're amazing. Um, and and last but not least, um, and this. Uh, uh, appeals to people in the city, in the suburbs, in mm-hmm. urban, or rather uh, blah, 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 rural areas. Uh, Jen Murtoff, who was on our show not too long ago, uh, mm-hmm. we uh, when we promoted the uh, the uh, the chicken coop tour in uh, in Chicago, um, uh, home to roost, chickens one hundred one. Where do I start? And that and that's always a really big question. I think a lot of folks will say, and I'm one of them. Oh, I, I could never do this. I could. I don't. I wouldn't even know where and how to get started. Um, and uh, this is what Jen's going to do uh, in, in her session. 
Well, it's so fun because Jen found us the expo through your show. So she was the one who called oh, wow. me up and said, I just heard about the, heard uh, about what can I tell you? I want to be okay. part of it. So thanks. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's well, that really nice. Nice connection. And I'm really impressed with all the things that she, boy, she's got a lot of classes yeah. and a lot of really cool yeah. education stuff. So I'm hoping we can connect her with, you know, the thing we always talk about with chickens is it just depends on your municipality. You know, there's some, you know, cities and towns that are like, absolutely not. And others are like, sure, come on. So yeah. you just have to mm-hmm. find that out first. So, yeah, yeah, we've got a a comment from uh, Cindy who says, thanks for the shout out for our Defenders of Water Natural Resources Protection Action Team. Kim, we're excited to talk to folks about solar farms planted with prairie. And of course, uh, Greg is is making a. uh, uh, Audrey, was it? Well, I've got one from Greg. Stargazing is pretty good in McHenry County. Yeah, that's Audrey. (laughs) How do you know? Audrey Fisher? I know. It says Greg. It's Greg Fisher. Okay. She uses oh. his account usually. <laughs> oh, 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 so you uh, so you have the inside scoop there. Okay. Um, Somebody well, in that household is watching and commenting. Right. And, and they know that there's still stars in the sky when you go to McHenry County, which is one of the great reasons uh, to, to go up and visit the folks in McHenry County. So that's, that's a lot for people to... Uh, to enjoy uh, in the Green Living Expo, uh, and again, it is uh, the sixth of November. That's a Saturday, just to make sure. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. Um, and uh, go online. You can go to uh, my website, MikeNovak.net, to uh, sign up. Uh, you can also go to McHenry.edu/green or McHenry.edu. Slash Green Expo. Is there anything we we've, we've missed here, Kim, uh, in uh, promoting this? Um, I think you know. I think you've hit a lot of it. I think our waste minimization track doesn't have a specific speaker dedicated to it, but we've got a lot of really good exhibitors. Um, you know, Goodwill and Habitat for Humanity have joined us again, and they're you know we don't think about them as being specifically waste minimization, but they just keep so much stuff out of the landfill. It's just amazing. And you look at their statistics and all the things they do. It's really, I'm so happy that they can join us this year and have a booth and talk a little bit about what they're doing. Um, And then the defenders, again, I keep going back to them. They have a um, waste minimization recycling committee. They're going to be talking about their styrofoam collection and they'll have a little bit more information on collecting styrofoam to recycle. So that's a good one too. Um, You know, right there, right there. Um, People like me, and I know there are other folks like me out there uh, who have styrofoam, which is uh, expanded polystyrene, um, and uh, that's the styrofoam is actually a brand name. Uh, but expanded polystyrene, a lot of us, we don't know what to do with it. It sits in the basement. It sits in the garage. Uh, until we can find a way to, because uh, I know it's possible to recycle it, mm-hmm. and and Dart Corporation does that, but it's hard to get to those locations. And if you're and if you're driving expanded polystyrene to a facility that can recycle it, what's the net energy consumption there? Yeah. Is that's part of the problem with expa- the problem also being that expanded polystyrene stays forever in a landfill. It's gonna it's gonna take thousands of years to break down. So, um, uh, you know, and when you talk about goodwill, I'm absolutely on board with what they do. Anything that that 
keeps us from just dumping stuff in our landfills. Uh, so when when you're promoting their operation, you're promoting reuse, uh, which is a huge part of what we need to do. We need to rethink everything. We need to reduce and reuse, uh, really refuse um, uh, a lot of stuff. But uh, So I'm glad you have this part of the track uh, at the expo as well. Yeah, it should be great. I'm really happy that we were able to put these tracks together. We kind of came up with this last year when we were sort of trying to figure out what are we going to do for expo. And then of course everything went crazy. So we decided not to, but we picked up the tracks again and, you know, I think we'll probably stick with this idea. I like the idea of how to kind of organize it. So people that are coming to the expo, well, I just really want to know about renewable energy. They can just click on the renewable energy track and they'll see all the vendors and the speakers and that they can just do that. And, but of course we'd like them to do everything, but not everybody has that much time. So we get it. Um, and I like the idea of organizing it down these tracks. And so next year, maybe we'll have some different ones. And we like the idea of having you on the show because you're, you're such an enthusiast uh, for this. Uh, I love the work you're doing. Uh, and I love the work uh, that uh, uh, at the McHenry County College. Uh, so congratulations. Uh, and uh, all right, everybody, now's your turn. You got to sign up, be part of this. Just stop in, see, just, you know, you want to see one free. seminar, it's free. And you might get a goodie if you sign up early. You're definitely going to get a good a goodie, um, and um, and you might get uh, some coupons for for stuff you can use in the future. So, uh, Kim Hankins from McHenry County College, the, the Sustainability Director. Thank you so much as always for being part of us and supporting our show. We love supporting you. Well, thank you guys. It's always nice to have you and <clears throat> be part of your show. And I'm excited to have the expo and we'll, you guys have booths too. So everybody can come and visit with you on a Saturday morning as well. And we, we definitely love the very tasteful wall that you have behind you with, with the very tasteful this is art. My, we call this my dining office. It's the dining room and the office mushed together. So <laughs> it's the dining office. Gosh, that, that doesn't happen to anybody else. Uh, I, I, no, I hardly ever. Yeah. Uh, you don't even know what's behind me because I got banners here so I can cover up ah, everything. But oh. I know what's behind those banners. <laughs> yes, you do. And it's, and it's not, hasn't been painted in years. So, uh, okay. Uh, Kim Hankins, we'll, we'll talk to you very soon. Uh, guess Thanks who's coming? Again, you guys. Yeah, there's rain on the way, folks. Lots of it. Unfortunately, Rick DeMaio is next to explain that. We'll talk to him. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us.
And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. There he is, meteorologist Rick DeMaio. And Rick, it is a dark and gloomy day, and we've got some stuff on the way here, don't we? Yeah, and it, it's actually not related to the stuff that's going on in California, Oregon, and Washington, where there's uh, near record low pressure off the coast of Seattle down to 900 and 49 millibars, which is like a Category 3 hurricane. Wow. Uh, but when you get big storms out west, uh, it tends to energize the jet stream here in the Midwest, and uh, that's exactly what's happening today. Wow. I read uh, something last night uh, before I nodded off about the river of uh, vapor coming the in. River. What, what did they call it? The atmospheric river, yeah. Atmospheric river coming into California, it's just going to, and it, it had something two or three times the, the flow of the Mississippi River in terms of water content, uh, wow. and it's just going to slam. Now, that, see, that's what's so fascinating is that we go through these periods of drought, and now suddenly California, and we'll see maps in a second. If you folks got to stick around for this, this is just amazing stuff. Um and then suddenly California is going to get slammed with moisture. Yeah, moisture in the form of rain below 7,000 feet and snow above 7,000 feet. Um, so they'll get their fair share of precipitation in both forms, uh, which you normally get in the middle of October. If it was a month from now, snow level will probably be down to maybe 6,000 feet. If it was December or January, probably down about 5,000 feet. But what people have to remember is when uh, you have, whenever you have a flow of of, uh, of moisture off the Pacific Ocean, um, you never really get the freezing level down below four thousand feet because the ocean temperature stays pretty much the same all year round, generally in the low to mid fifties. So uh, there's no cold air on the backside of these systems. Most of the snow is due to um, enhanced orographics, you know, incredible lifting of the air. Um, Atmospheric pressure always lowers as you go higher up. Uh, water vapor cools off much more rapidly. So you never really get a snow level down below 5,000. But this is going to be both beneficial um, and destructive. So let me explain that. The beneficial is it's going to bring an end to the wildfire season um, across all of the state, Oregon, Idaho, uh, most likely the interior south of Montana, maybe not eastern Montana, um, and the northern half of California, pretty much from about San Francisco northward. That's the beneficial part. Um, the other beneficial part is that it's going to, you know, basically fill up the reservoirs to about maybe 30 to 40 percent of where they are right now. So if we're in, say, if you think about a drought as in five steps, this will bring us probably up to about step three away from the drought. It's not going to end the drought, but it'll end the wildfire season, which is a shorter climactic event. Drought is a much longer climactic event. So you have to think about it from that standpoint. Uh, the third part, which is the destructive part, is all the areas that had massive burnings. And we've had record burn season across northern California, not so much south, uh, is you're going to have um, mudslides. Uh, mud flows, um, and then landslides. So the, the, the mud slide first, leads to the side of the hill, you know, have the ability to hold on to any roots or trees or bushes. So that goes. 
Um, and then you'll have a mud slide, which is basically a much larger area of mud that just basically flows down the side of a mountain. And if you reduce the bottom part of a mountain um, even higher, or I should say even greater, then you'll get a landslide. And that's what they in um, Oso, Washington. So Oso is spelled O-S-O. And that was, I believe, back in 2013, uh, when a, a completely large side of a mountain basically collapsed and slid into a town and killed over 30 people. And those people were actually warned that it could happen. Um, so again, uh, it's going to occur in in certain in some areas. You're probably going to hear about, you know, loss of life, which should never happen because the watches and the warnings are out there. But you'll still have people drive and make it across the river. And we all know that water is a, is a pretty powerful thing once it gets going. So that's pretty much what we have going on there today, tomorrow, uh, and probably Tuesday as well. Why don't we take a uh, since we started there, take a look at some of these these maps? And here's a, the heavy rain map, a two day rainfall forecast yeah. for California. Yeah, and and what, what's really amazing um, is you know we see this so often, um, and it, it it usually occurs at the end of the summer. Uh, and part of this, I think, is because the North Pacific is three to four degrees above normal temperature-wise. I didn't send that to you. Um, I did send a lot of maps, but I actually didn't send as many as I would have liked. Um, so, so the flow of moisture is actually um, not coming from Hawaii as it would normally do when you get these incredible, mount, incredible flows of moisture. This is actually coming from the North Pacific. And the fact that it's producing this much water vapor and this much precipitation um, – is due to the fact that the water temperatures are about three to four degrees above normal. So if people are thinking, uh, is this somewhat related to a warmer climate? The answer is yes. Um, are the dynamics related to a warmer climate? No, I don't think so. You'll get these every once in a while. Uh, someone said, is this, you know, one of those remnant, um, you know, typhoons that you normally see come out of the West Pacific and move across the North Pacific? Um, no, it was not. So the fact that this isn't actually part of an old typhoon is kind of scary. So this is just the normal storm that's a little bit more energized due to the warming of the normal water. Um, and I think people can see that these numbers are anywhere between three and five inches along the coast, a little bit less in the valleys. And then once you get into Sierra Nevada mountains, uh, you're up close to 10 inches. So this is just rain. Um, and if you had it, um, a lot of rivers can handle that much rain in 36 to 48 hours, and certainly uh, the areas that were so devastated by the fires uh, that have literally left holding back the soil um, is, is really what they're concerned about, and that actually happens to be uh, the epicenter of where the heavy rain is. So again, beneficial from one standpoint ends the fire season, beneficial for another where it, it helps out. Uh, with the restoration of the reservoirs, but catastrophic from a standpoint of landslides. So the map that you first showed there is the public forecast. This is the one that you actually use as a meteorologist. This is from one of the models. This basically just shows you what the derived precipitation is from the global forecast system, otherwise known as the GFS, for a period of about 48 hours. And you can see it's basically lining up right along the east-facing part of the Sierra Nevada mountains and also the coastal range. So you have two mountain range in California, the coastal, which runs from basically Calif uh, San Francisco northward to about the Oregon, Washington, Oregon, um, California border. 
and then you have the Sierras. Once you get on the other side of the Sierras in southern Nevada, it dries out because the mountains are 14,000 feet. That's one of the reasons why Nevada is so dry and also the valleys uh, southeast California are bone dry. So, again, you get these massive uh, swings of weather um, due to the fact that you have the largest ocean in the world and one of the largest changes in elevation um, anywhere in North America. And, unfortunately, 40 million people tend to live in that area. That's not good. Yeah. And and this is the snow that we're looking at. Yeah, it may be hard to see, but that number just to the um, south of where – Lake Tahoe is, that's the area where Nevada goes like this and like that. Uh, that's 63 inches. You divide that by 12, wow. that's five feet of snow. Yeah, five feet of snow. Now, I've seen some of these models over, over forecast. Over how much time? Uh, this is about 36 hours, Peg. Um, okay. So, yeah, the, the thing about it is there's some great webcams. You can go to windy.com and click on the camera icon and go into those areas, and you'll see – Um, the snow probably accumulate up to about maybe late this afternoon, and then you won't see anything because the cameras will get covered with snow. (laughs) So it's kind of of funny. Either the cameras get covered or the snow goes over the camera, but I think most of the cameras are above 10 feet. But whenever you get this wet snow, which is typically what happens this time of the year, uh, the cameras get covered with snow. So this is going to do two things. It's going to also help out – with the promotion of the season out there, which they didn't have one last year until midway through the season. Uh, but again, this type of event um, is not atypical from the year, uh, but the fact that the atmospheric river, that's the, the term we now give these long stretches of water vapor and moisture, um, is so, um, I think, predominantly strong uh, is due to the fact that the water temperature is about three to four degrees warmer than it should be this time of year. So what, what was it you were saying that the, they were going to get this year that they, they didn't have before? Was it skiing? Were you talking about? Yeah, well, their yeah. ski season started so late last year. Um, and, and then it ended, um, it ended kind of like with a, with a whimper. Uh, it just went away really fast, but uh, they didn't really get their big snow until much, much later. Remember we had a really warm, November, December, and that was partly due to the fact that the jet was literally up over the top of. So this was just from uh, yesterday, and it showed that the snow was was covering the ground in many locations. So they already had some snow uh, from two days ago. Um, It was up at about 1,000 feet. So see that um, this is the area. This is one of the ski areas uh, down around Lake Tahoe. Uh, they've already had snow. But again, all of these areas will have about three to four feet of snow um, on top of what they have right now. The good news is the ground is, is as we always talk about this time of the year, is warm. Um, so any snow that does occur will most likely melt and percolate down into the soil. So um, this is going to be really, really beneficial as you head into the winter season. Hopefully, if they get enough of this, it'll stave off at least an extension uh, of the drought that they're in. So again, drought is really, really a long-term thing. Um, Flooding rains, landslides, things like that is is really much more short-term. So again, all it's going to do is it's going to take the drought like this and basically go to like that. That's all it does. Okay. And here's something you sent that I thought was uh, uh, pretty fascinating, and that is the cloud cover uh, that indicates La Nina. 
Yeah, or, or actually lack of clouds. So right. if you look at the area along the equator, um, and you, if you basically go from the dateline, which is the, um, the, 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 the line of um, uh, longitude, that's second one from the left, if you can follow that. First off, you can actually see the first you know, pocket of moisture um, line there. But if, if you go to the equator and you kind of run your finger all the way over, you can find um, America. Uh, that area, which is about 6,000 miles long from the equator over to South America, um, there's no cloud. And that typically is covered by clouds due to the intertropical convergence zone, otherwise known as the ITCZ. So what we can see here is two things. Um, there's a lot of cumulus clouds, those, dots, those little white dots, um, but there's also a lack of the real tall cloud, which is the ones that have the red and the, and the, uh, the brown on it. The red and the brown are the ones that are really tall. That's indicative of the fact mm-hmm. that the water is warm and it's releasing heat energy up through 40,000, 50,000 feet. In the air, no clouds, it's indicative of the fact that the water is cool um, and almost three to four degrees cooler than normal, and that's La Nina. So what we do is we not only use buoys that measure the water temperature, but also the satellite to actually um, compensate for the areas where we don't have surface observations. And this is indicative of the fact that La Nina um, is pretty darn strong. Um, now, whether or not that's going to have a direct impact on our weather here is still somewhat uh, debatable because one thing doesn't always, um, you know, impact the weather here in the Midwest. It's usually a couple of things. You got to look at the pattern across the North Atlantic, pattern across the North Atlantic. Uh, but what La Nina ends up doing um, is it allows the jet stream across uh, the southern United or, or the jet stream coming into the Pacific Northwest to be a little bit stronger and to have a little bit more southward extension because it doesn't have to worry about a warm push of air northward if there was an El Nino. So an El Nino basically uh, takes the atmosphere and pushes it up. And as it pushes it up, it actually strengthens the subtropical jet on this side right here. All right. When you have La Nina, you don't have the air pushing up. So the jet stream can actually move a little bit further south. Um, And that's one of the reasons why we think that this winter will most likely have more active storms coming in from the Pacific Northwest and from Canada. So someone says, well, is this storm a precursor of one? Um, I I think it's got a little bit only because um, it's in from that position where La Nina jets generally tend to strengthen, but this isn't really a La Nina enhanced storm. This storm that's developed off the coast of the Pacific, in between the dateline, um, mainly due to the warmer waters of the Pacific. So we'll see how that bears out. Usually you don't really understand what the pattern is going to be like until about maybe the second or third week of November. So I think it's a little bit early. So I like to think of October as almost like April. Um, you can't really make a summer prediction off the second or third week of April. You could do it off the second or third week of May, but not the second week of April. All right. Well, that's set. Right, well, that's set. Let's look at. Let's look at. This, this I have a series of maps series here, of and, and, I, and I hear myself coming back, but that'll probably resolve itself here. Okay. Um, this so this is not really related to La Nina, as you say, but it is. 
if you look at the the Pacific Northwest and Northern California, lots of rain. You look at the the Midwest, lots of rain. Yeah, and and again, the Sunday map here is not an analysis; it's a prediction. But nonetheless, it's pretty close to what's happening. So I was just looking uh, while I was listening to uh, Kim talk, um, and um, it'll be interesting to see how this system bears out by the middle of the week because the system that's over us is kind of being energized from a dynamic standpoint uh, by the system off the West Coast. And it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to see, but the millibars of this looks like it's down to about 964. Uh, but the current analysis shows a 945 millibar low off the coast. So that's the wind and the rain. And last I checked, they had wind gusts to about 45 to 50 miles per hour in San Francisco at the airport, which means that the coast is probably blowing about 60 or 65 miles an hour. That's a lot of rain. I don't know if they're playing foot there, uh, but we'll um, see what happens if they are. But notice the, notice the amount of green on that map. There's not a lot of purple. Purple indicates snow, which indicates the snow level is really, really high. So, again, this is a warm storm, a lot of liquid with this thing. The one that's coming through us uh, is the one that's going to produce uh, quite a bit of rain. A couple of droplets out there right now. I was just taking a walk for a walk. And this system has pulled up quite a bit of moisture um, in the last 24 hours, but it's going to move kind of slowly. So it's going to pull up even more moisture. So if you want to go to the next map, this is the map for 7 p.m. tonight. And now you can see that low off the coast of Washington. It has a 952 uh, that's that's a really, really deep low, and it doesn't take much to produce heavy rain in the Pacific Northwest because the orographics, you know, lift the air so much. Um, but if you notice the way this storm through the Midwest is moving, it's a nice, comma-shaped cloud. Uh, the amount of moisture that's going to be pulled across the warm front is literally going to be maximized uh, right across central areas of Illinois. So this is valid for 7 p.m. tonight. If you want to go to the next one, you'll see when this storm system comes through, it doesn't move very fast. So between this morning and tomorrow, it literally goes from northern Missouri um, into Indiana. And by this time, um, most of the lakefront will be in sustained 30 to 35 hour winds. And that usually means wind gusts to maybe 40, maybe 45 miles per hour. I don't think we're going to get much higher than that, but it's going to be a steady onshore flow. Um, So again, two things come out of this. Very beneficial. We've had some really decent rain so far um, this month, uh, anywhere between two and a half and three inches in some areas. And if you remember, we were really dry heading into the month of June. And then all of a sudden we had six inches of rain in the month of June. And then we went dry again for July, August, and September. And now we'll probably end up with about six inches of rain in the month of October and probably have one of the wettest Octobers on record. Um, The good news um, is that the lake level uh, is down about 18 inches from where it was last year. The bad news is you're going to get still very, very strong east-northeast flow. And because it's going to be pounding the shoreline for such a long period of time, there's going to be a lot of beach erosion. But again, not as much is what we had last year. So again, if you go to the next chart, I I thought I'd pop this up since you were talking about that. Some of the, uh, the wave height. 
And I'm I'm I looking at the Wilmette buoy right now, and that's already at five point six feet. But the the water temperature is still over sixty one. Is that going to yeah, affect it amazing. at all? Yeah, it's amazing, Peg. The um, um, you know, we had days, three days this week. We're in the seventies, and um, I rode my bike to those days. And on Monday and Tuesday, there were people swimming in Lake Michigan, yeah. well, and I've never degrees. seen that before. Yeah, actually, um, I think it was sixty-three. Um, and this this Maddie was probably about seventy years ago. I'm taking advantage of the sixty-degree lake one. I'm like, it's actually sixty-three. He goes. Yeah, it did feel like more like 63. So it's amazing. This time of year, you can almost you can almost tell what it was. And that's because he knew it was 66 last week. I mean, if you're swimming in it enough, you kind of get to know these these yeah, different temperature. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that Peg, the fact that uh the Wilmette buoy is already showing feet, um it's probably heading towards 10 to 12 uh mm-hmm. and this is a map for um uh, 1 p.m. tomorrow afternoon, so uh, October 25th, 1800 GMT. You subtract five hours from 1800, and you get one o'clock. Um, and it shows you how, when you get that that northeast wind, how the western side of Lake Michigan will feel the stronger winds with these storms. The eastern side of Lake Michigan feels it when the storm goes through from, you know, when, when the wind comes around. But typically, when you have storm moving through very slowly is when you have the beach erosion. So I can yeah. even I can even send you a link to that or probably get information. So the we just showed is something that's generated from the forecast models and this is obviously that is generated by the National Weather Service. So again east northeast winds is the worst type of wind for pushing water over the beachfront. And then when it were north northeast that begins to take the water down along on the beach, and that's when you have beach erosion. So you have flooding impact. You have the water going over the sand, and then you have the water going parallel to the sand, um, and that'll actually tend and pull it down shore. So that's one of the reasons why, why Gilson Beach is impacted so much because of the way it kind of curves around the Baha'i Temple there. So you get massive amounts of beach erosion at Wilmette um, and Gilson and then Lee Street Beach will get some beach erosion as well. But generally, the, the, the Chicago beaches won't get as much beach erosion. Those beaches are a little bit wider, um, and their break walls tend to go a little bit further out. So it really all depends on how the water is focused and how much beach erosion you're going to get. Nonetheless, um, you'll probably see some people trying to jog and ride their bikes along the bike path tomorrow morning at, at Oak Street Beach, and I'm sure there's going to be pounding waves and they're going to be people going. I can't believe they're doing that, but you know, it always seems to. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't surprise me what people generally tend to do when they're not supposed to do it. So, if we go back to the uh, the forecast map, you can see that by Tuesday, um, we have a respite for at least yeah. what <laughs> one day, right? Yeah, one one day. This thing moves off to the east, and it'll probably end the uh, the fall colors um, in New England. So two things end fall colors. Um, the length of season just you know basically ends, or you have a really windy storm. So um, anytime you have a lot of wind, that's going to take a lot of leaves off the trees. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much of the wind takes these leaves off these trees because um, they're still looking kind of tired. It doesn't look like it's going to be uh, a nice fall foliage around here. Although last yesterday I was driving around, there seemed to be some nice colors already coming mm-hmm. out. But again. Yeah. 
the storm system that's hitting the Pacific Northwest now by Tuesday is in the Rocky Mountains. And again, notice it's mainly green. That's a really, really warm storm that's moving through the mountains. And by the time it gets to us on Wednesday, you can go to the next map. By the time it gets here on Wednesday, we get right back in the southerly flow. This one now has a lot more in the way of deep moisture from the Gulf. So even though we're going to get about two, maybe three inches of rain out of this first storm, this second one could probably deliver another one to two inches. Yikes. So Wednesday and then the Thursday map, so go to the Thursday map now, um, you'll see that this thing literally occludes right over us. And then the way we, we see that it's occluding is the low is way to the west and the next low is taking place or forming over parts of of uh, North Carolina and South Carolina, purple line there, the occluded front. What do you mean this by occlude, Rick? What is so, occlude? An occluded, an occluded uh, low pressure system means that there's there's no definite um, of the difference between a warm and a cold air mass. So the word occlude has to do with your inability to see. I think it has to do something with the relation or something like that. But you cannot observe any sort of difference of warm or cold air on a surface map. So what happens is the surface low is basically detached from the upper level winds. The upper level winds move to the east and the system is then just kind of rotating around. So it could be on this map, it could be degrees in Chicago and 60 degrees in Paducah, Kentucky, 60 in Indianapolis and 60 in St. Louis. So the air just basically is flowing around. What it does though, uh, this is gonna produce probably inches of rain. So even though under watches, I wouldn't be surprised if we continue to get some sort of a flooding rain scenario as we head into Thursday and Friday. Um, and yeah, I know it, it, it's going to happen really quickly. But you know what? The ground is dry. The rivers are low. The lake levels are low. I don't see this as being anything that's going to produce any sort of damage across <laughs> the area. And, and no, seriously, and, and the farmers have all you know harvested their corn um, so, I mean, after what has been a fantastic six weeks of, you know, autumn weather, getting, you know, significant amounts of rain, but because the ground is fairly dry and warm, I see this as being nothing but beneficial for us over two or three days. Okay. Well, uh, I will tell you as we look at the, the next couple of days forecast for this immediate area that uh, Pat Sketch, our, our, our friend, um, in the meteorological world, uh, sent me a text this morning. He said, uh, North Central and Central Illinois farmers uh, are in serious trouble with today's very heavy rain. Harvest is not complete yet, Dry out, and the dry-out time may be weeks for some to bring combines and trucks back in the field. So he's obviously getting some reports from his friends uh, in, uh, in uh, Central Illinois. Yeah, that, that's good to know, and I'm glad Patrick is on top of that. Um, I know that most of the farm fields I've seen, um, they've, they're probably 75% uh, done, but in certain areas, if they're not done, as Patrick alluded to, and I'll, I'll defer to someone with more information than me, um, and I appreciate that, Pat. If that's the case, then, yeah, it looks like we'll be um, kind of taking the, taking the week off, so to maybe getting that, that harvested on Tuesday. Uh, but I doubt it because once you get that much rain on Sunday and Monday, it's hard to get, get out in the field uh, on Tuesday and not get your equipment stuck. Uh, but again, the bottom line, guys, and we've seen this almost all spring and summer, where they don't need the rain in it and where we need the rain, we're not getting it. 
So again, yeah. less north, more south. And again, this is just two days. This is just today and tomorrow. There's another one that rain on tap for Wednesday night and Friday. So I think the seven-day rainfall total is easily going to is easily going to exceed um, basically a half a foot in some areas. Now, some areas, as you know, got frost. It wasn't a killing frost, but they got frost uh, Thursday night into Friday. Remember, we predicted that last week. Um, this is going to take frost off the table for the next seven days. You don't get frost when you get rain. So if any plants they want to put back outside, um, this will <laughs> no, be- No, 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 yeah. no. This is what this is. This is a, 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 a get out of jail free card where if you didn't get like me, I've still got plants out there. Now I know that if I'm not going to have frost for the next few days, I can get the rest of them inside. Uh, so it's, it's a good time to do that while, uh, with there's when there's moisture in the air, and we mentioned this on the show before. Our buddy Dan Costa from Verdon Goers Greenhouse said, uh, "Plants love the moisture, and at this time of year, usually you start to get everything dried out because you've got the heat on and so forth. Uh, with some more moisture in the air, you can bring them indoors, and they won't suffer as much right away from the lack of humidity." Yeah, I couldn't have said any better myself. <laughs> <laughs> And, and Greg says he's thinking all this rain would be a good time to top dress the lawn. Well, except um, uh, here's all right. Top dress. Uh, all right. It, for one thing, it's a little late to be fertilizing. If you were thinking about that. And even if you were, you got to be careful of that fertilizer running off. If we get excessive yeah. amounts, that'll end up in our sewers. Uh, top yeah. dressing the lawn with compost might be good, but I'm afraid that's going to run off as well. Uh, so um, I I would yeah, wait till it, things it calm down. If you're going to add some, you know, adding compost is always a good thing to your to your lawn. In fact, I need to get some information to a listener who said, "Where do I get sifted compost?" And I went, "Oh yeah, I got to." If anybody out there who's watching us knows where I can get sifted compost in this region, let me know. I know I'm supposed to know that, but I don't. Yeah, uh, and, right. and Dan Costa says, "Glad you approve, Rick." <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Dan. I mean, that's like that's like Robin agreeing to Batman, right? Um, <laughs> uh, so, but, 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 but the bottom line is, real quickly, um, our hurricane season, I think, is officially done. Um, the, the water temperatures have cooled off quite a bit in the Atlantic. The Gulf of Mexico is done. The only area where you could see maybe an Aaron tropical storm is maybe the Straits of Yucatan. Um, but even that... It may make it north and probably weaken a little bit. Um, but the uh, typhoon season is not yet over in the Pacific Ocean, whether or not that still has an impact on our weather over the next two to three weeks, as it sometimes does in October. That remains to be seen. Uh, but uh, next week when we talk again, it'll be how much rain we end up getting out of this. Um, but it does look like we stay somewhat um, in a quieter pattern once we get past this week. Mm-hmm. This is not, um, I don't think this is uh, a sign of, of things that come for the winter. It's a little bit too early for that. Yeah. All right. So um, if, if anybody's been paying attention, they just saw the forecast, which is rain, 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 and um, and slightly, um, what, rain slightly above or, or normal temperatures, basically? Um, well, it, it, that's kind of a tricky thing because uh, overnight lows will probably remain above normal only because we'll be in the upper 40s and near 50. Afternoon highs will probably be somewhat below normal. 
Um, but most people, when it's 50 degrees and cloudy and rainy, consider it cold. And especially when you consider how nice it's been up until this point, um, we basically went from September to early November um, over the next couple of days. So I would say slightly below normal temperatures over the next six to 10 days. Yeah. All right. Um, I know it's, yeah, it, it's, I've always said the second half of October can be very, very different from the first half of October. And that's definitely bearing it out again this year. All right, Rick, thank you so much. I'm sorry. It's uh, I'm all I'm doing is uh, spending this afternoon and tomorrow watching my basement to see what happens. Um, I got it rotted a couple of weeks ago, so I'm assuming everything's going to be fine, but you never know. It's just... Nope, you never know. No. The good thing, this is going to be over a long period of time. It's not like going to be like heavy-duty rain with thunderstorms, so maybe that'll help out. I think it will. All right, I appreciate it. All right, buddy, we'll see you next week. Sounds good. Take care, guys. Bye, Mike. Bye, Peg. All righty. And uh, I think that's it. So let's thank everybody on the show. Carrie Lee, Domenico D'Alessandro, Jen Carota talking about Save Belbo Prairie. You can find all those links at MikeNovak.net. We want to thank Kim Hankins, Sustainability Director at McHenry County College. And don't forget to log on and go to the Green Living Expo on the 6th of November from 10 to 5. Uh, thanks to Rick DeMaio, meteorologist, Kathleen upstairs, Lagata the cat, Basil the dog. I think that's about it, unless you got something else. No, nope, that's it. All right, well, until next time, go green or... Go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. Uh-huh.